Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. To start today, I'm going to change the text slightly in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, and I want to see if you can pick out what part of the text that's not actually in the Bible. All right, here we go. Uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And the smart people came to him, and the beautiful people, and the rich people, and he said to them, Blessed are you, you smart, pretty, rich, well-dressed people, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Do you know what the inaccurate part is? Uh, All right, here's what the writer of scripture actually wrote. Uh, This is right before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Up there is coming down here and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. When Jesus saw the crowds, question, who's in the crowd? I'll tell you who. Uh, Needy people, poor people, hurting people, uh, people who smell bad, uh, people who uh, don't behave well. Uh, The demon-possessed are usually not noted for their good behavior. (laughs) You may not know that, but that's just true. Uh, In these crowds, people are having seizures and falling to the ground in pain. Uh, Lepers are there. No one would touch them or want to be near to them. People who drink too much. Uh, People who uh, can't hold a job. People who can't fix their lives. People who have no money for medicine. People who are on the edge. People who have no hope. How will Jesus tell the good news to this motley crew? Well, the most famous sermon in the history of the world had the most famous beginning of any sermon ever, although it's widely misunderstood. This is how Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to start with the word blessed, blessed, uh, the first word of this great sermon. It's often a cliche in our day. We say it when someone sneezes. Uh, In the South, people say it about people they don't even like. You know, God bless her heart. I hate her guts is what that means. Uh, In the Bible, uh, this word blessed or blessed is, uh, is actually addressing a question that haunts the human race. Who has the good life? Who is well off? Any serious thinker about the human condition must address this question. The biggest movement in psychology for the last two decades has been what's called positive psychology, research on happiness, well-being, and flourishing that's precisely about this question, who has the good life? And everyone has an idea. There was an ad for a car not too long ago that ran, chase happiness in a car that can catch it. (laughs) When I lived in Southern California, there was actually a magazine called The Good Life. 
And based on its contents, the good life is mostly about fine dining and weight loss, which is kind of a paradox when you think about it. I have a friend who's from England, and he moved to California where the sun is always shining. When he's sitting in his, in his backyard with his wife, uh, they actually ask each other, how are you doing? And they'll always say, live in the dream. Because that's California, right? How are you doing? Live in the dream. Who's living the dream? That's a good question to consider when you come to this word blessed. We've turned it into a cliche, but it's actually a brilliant way to start a message. Who's living the dream? He says, blessed, uh, those who are living the dream are the poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You have to understand, in Jesus' day, it was not a good thing to be poor in spirit. I mean, that, that phrase might read like this, blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. People who know nothing about the Bible. Uh, people who cannot make heads or tails of God. People who would shrivel up into a ball if they were asked to pray out loud. People who think Joan of Arc is the wife of Noah. People who think the epistles are the wives of the apostles. <laughs> people who think spiritually they have nothing to offer. It's often associated simply with financial poverty. The poor in spirit in Jesus' day generally would have been the poor. And Jesus says, blessed are you, live in the dream. Why? Well, it's not because they were poor in spirit, I'll tell you that. It's because now, through Jesus, the possibility of life in the presence and the power and the favor and the love and the guidance and the strength of God Almighty has now come down to them. Forgiveness, grace, strength, wisdom, healing, joy, acceptance are now available to you. It no longer matters what the world says about you. This is what Dallas Willard wrote. Those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus, not because they're in a meritorious condition, but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ in their ever so deplorable condition. You see, Jesus is contrasting his beatitudes against who the world says is eligible for the good life. Who does the world, apart from God, say is living the dream? Human culture, apart from God, always has its own list of who's blessed, who's living the dream. I mean, we could write the beatitudes for the Bay Area. Uh, blessed are the talented. Blessed are the CEOs and the VIPs and the uh, MBAs and the PhDs. Uh, blessed are the fit. Blessed are those who went to college at Stanford or Harvard. Blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are those who hustle. Uh, I'm not making this up. There was a, a post from a car ride company recently praising one of their drivers who went into labor and kept picking up fares on her way to the hospital to give birth. I mean, that's life in the Bay Area. Blessed are those who pick up fares when they're going to the hospital to deliver. When all of the people who are not on that list, look at that list, they think, well, I'm not eligible for the good life. I'm missing out. And Jesus is saying, no, the world has it wrong. Which is why we have to ask this question for our lives because you will base your life on something. 
So who will, who, who's blessed then? Who's well off then? Who's living the dream then? Well, Jesus has an answer to this question. Blessed is anyone who is alive in the kingdom of God. Blessed is anyone who is daily interacting with God in God's venture of bringing up there, down here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed is anyone who has surrendered the burden of ego. Blessed is anyone who no longer has to carry the weight of the world's outcomes on their shoulders. Blessed is anyone who can even for a moment truly be grateful to God. Blessed is anyone who finds their safety, not in the illusion of avoiding danger because they have so much money or because they have uh, so many connections or so much power, but in the reality that nothing can separate them from the love of God. Blessed is anyone who has put God in charge of their life. To be in the kingdom means to be blessed no matter what else happens. Your future is secured. Your present is redeemed. What Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, these words of blessing, that's what Beatitude means, is that even the people regarded as the most deprived, the most insignificant in the world, can now be blessed by, the, by living in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then the next one, blessed are those who mourn. Who's that? Blessed are those whose spouse has deserted them. Blessed are those who have lost their job. Maybe it, would, maybe it was even their own fault. Blessed are you who consider yourself a miserable failure as a parent. Blessed are you who wanted to be a parent but cannot. Blessed are the chronically depressed. Blessed are the clinically anxious. Why? Because mourning and anxiety is a good thing? No. Because now, you, to you, Jesus comes along and says, you too, come into my kingdom. I will be with you. You will not be alone. You have a future. You may be at the end of your rope, but you are not at the end of my rope. Blessed are the meek. Now understand, no one in the world apart from God puts meek people on the good life fast track. Uh, no company has a meek employee of the month award. Uh, no, no one lists meekness on their match.com profile. Uh, Jesus is saying, blessed are the charisma challenged. Blessed are the inept self-promoters. For you will inherit the earth as up there comes down here. And so it goes throughout the list of Beatitudes. No, none of the conditions listed in the Beatitudes are thought of by our world as tickets to the good life. And that's exactly why Jesus mentions them. The idea of the Beatitudes is no human condition excludes blessedness now that Jesus is in the equation. You see, he himself was the great misfit, the great outcast, the great failure, so that all of the misfits and outcasts and losers and failures would find their way into his kingdom. All right, in a moment, we'll talk about how in the kingdom of God, we see each other as we really are. There's no pretending in the kingdom of God. As I was listening to Matt, something he said caught my attention. Jesus was the great misfit, the great outcast, the great failure. Was Jesus a failure? When Jesus was arrested and then crucified, the religious leaders declared he had failed. So did the confidence of his disciples. 
They began to think that they had misjudged this man they had followed for three years, that Jesus had failed to live up to his promises. Peter disassociated himself from Jesus three times in one night. Thomas refused to believe Jesus had resurrected from the dead unless he could see and touch the nail wounds in his hands. The disciples believed that death meant failure. And under normal circumstances, it does. Unless, that is, if God is involved. You see, the kingdom of God, the up there that Jesus brought down here, is a both now and not yet kingdom. It's the power and presence and love of God with you today and the promise of a future hope with him tomorrow. The world we live in is far from perfect, to which you and I would both agree. And failure surrounds us, personal, corporate, financial, social, moral. Maybe you fail to live up to the expectations of others or yourself. You didn't achieve the status, success, or position you were supposed to. Jesus knows what it's like not to live up to expectations. He didn't look like or act like the expected king, the coming Messiah, the one who would free people from their oppressors. But Jesus' only failure was in the eyes and understanding of those who place their faith in a religious system or a political power or worldly gain. You see, the failure is ours when we don't see and understand who Jesus is and what he came to do in and with our lives. Others may call you a failure, a misfit, an outcast. You may even say that to yourself, but Jesus doesn't. He calls you his own, and you live in a different kingdom than this world. Let's rejoin Matt and continue our look at the kingdom of God. All right, now I want to talk about how in Jesus's community, we help each other to see ourselves as we really are. Rule number one in Jesus's community is no pretending. We come just as we are to God and to one another uh, to be loved and to be healed. A little over 80 years ago, there was a hopeless drunk who became known to history as Bill W. Uh, he hit bottom. Uh, he, his addiction to alcohol had put him in jail. Uh, he had lost his means for making a living. He had been hospitalized four times. Uh, his doctor told his wife, Lois, that she had three choices. Either she could have him locked up, or she could watch him go insane, or she could let him die. And Bill knew this was true. He was desperate. He was hopeless. And then one day, he met a man who invited him into a little fellowship of people who were following Jesus. And they were a part of something called the Oxford Group. Uh, they were trying to recapture the way of life of the early church. And they devoted themselves to practices like brutally honest self-examination, uh, confession to each other, uh, making restitution, uh, seeking to give themselves in humble service, uh, trying to spread this message to other people. And out of that invitation, Al Alcoholics Anonymous was born. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but AA received from the church, from the scriptures, from Jesus, the gift of these practices, a way of life through which people by hundreds uh, and thousands receive the power to live a life of sobriety that they could not live through their own willpower or their own efforts. And I wanna tell you, 
One of the reasons why AA is so powerful is anytime someone talks, they begin with, uh, my name is Matt, I'm, al I'm an alcoholic. And the other people in the circle don't respond by saying, I'm shocked and appalled. They say, hi, Matt. A great Christian thinker, a student of this movement writes, the wisdom of AA is contained in its celebration of an addict's recognition and public acknowledgement that he is an addict. Such a recognition and acknowledgement is deemed an achievement and is celebrated by being ritualized and reiterated. It turns out that genuine, humble, costly, real-time, radical public admission of my inadequacy, my inability to change, my inability, inability to control my own life, to resist sin, uh, is part of what God uses to make change possible, uh, to make a healing community possible. And so often this gets missed in the church. I learned something interesting about AA meetings recently. Uh, AA groups often meet in a church basement and in AA they have sayings for everything. And one of their sayings uh, is one that kind of haunts me. When you come to the church, you can go downstairs and be changed or you can go upstairs and say the same. You see downstairs, there's no pretending. Downstairs, everyone is a train wreck without God and downstairs, Everyone is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. See, we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and last week we learned that Jesus' good news is he's bringing up there, down here. Well, this week, the good news is we're going to bring down there, up here. God wants the church to be as real and as raw as AA. No pretending. I asked Lisa if she would share with you her thoughts on AA and the church. Hurting people show up in the basement of the church for an AA meeting. Now granted, we don't have a lot of basements in California, but in the rest of the country, it's common for AA to meet in the basement. And there people find a way out of their addiction. They go outside of their comfort zone, admitting to a group of strangers that they have a problem and they need help. Shame, guilt, and self-loathing they're met with compassion, empathy, understanding, and love, and not, not judgment. And it's such a beautiful thing to experience. I could share story after story of people who've gotten real and raw and honest at an AA meeting, where they took off their masks and stopped pretending, and God began to heal them and transform their lives. But that only happens when you stop pretending and you allow God to do his transforming work. You know, although the details and circumstances of each story is different, in a lot of ways, the stories are the same. <laughs> and they're all remarkable. And you're a mess, you need help. And through transparency and authentic sharing, you find hope. You know, no matter what you've done or how many times you mess up, it's a safe place. You're free to be real and raw without any judgment. And that, that's such an amazing gift. Now, I was at a women's event once and the, and the way that they closed the time was beautiful. The speaker asked us to join a circle started by the person with the least amount of time since their last drink. There was a woman present in her first 24 hours. So she went first and she was followed by others who had more time until we reached the last woman in the room who had the most amount of recovery time. 
She had 58 years sober and was in her late 80s. Uh, two other ladies had to actually help her stand up and then support her just to get her to her place in the circle. So everybody's holding hands and she closed the circle. The woman with 58 years of sobriety held hands with the one who had less than 24 hours. Still gives me chills. Then we said the Lord's Prayer. And God's presence was palpable. And that room, that room was filled with hope and respect and love and no judgment. And here's the deal. You know, that's only possible when you stop pretending and you start being real and honest before a group of people who can support you, which is what's available to us in the church. At least it's what should be available to us in the church. I mean, so often that's not the case, right? I think we need to be intentional about listening and not trying to fix whatever the problem is because people shut down when that happens. They stop sharing because that's not what's helpful. There's such power in just listening and being okay with quiet pauses. If we would just be open and honest about our sin and value confession enough to experience it, we will be transformed. You know, I want us to be that kind of church and we can be but we have to be intentional in our pursuit. So I wanna encourage you as we sit at the feet of Jesus, let's be students who learn how to model that and be that for others. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, I wanna live without pretending. Uh, I pretend so often to be nicer than I really am. <laughs> Can I say that? Uh, I pretend to be modest when I'm a recovering praiseaholic just waiting for my next binge. I pretend to be brave when I'm really a coward. I get grumpy, I withdraw, I envy, I covet other people's gifts or success. Thank God I've never had any issues with sexuality or lust. <laughs> That's a lie. You see, there are churches where no one has sinned for 20 years and everyone is dying. What kills the church is not sin. What kills the church is pretending there is no sin. So we need to be a church that's open about our sin. We need to practice together the, uh, the celebration of inadequacy. Now, throughout history in churches, this often involves a confession of sin. But so often, even in churches, when they do that, it doesn't strike them the way the word alcoholic strikes someone who is an alcoholic. Yet the recognition and public confession of inadequacy is itself an achievement. It's to be celebrated. And so I wanna invite you right now, if you're watching this with someone, turn to them and just say these words, without God, my life is a train wreck. Go ahead, do it. I mean, I'll confess it to you. Without God, my life is a train wreck. It truly is. We need to celebrate inadequacy. Don't hide it. Don't pretend like you're something else. Don't pretend like you've been a Christian long enough that you don't have to worry about that anymore, that you can rest on your spiritual laurels. No pretending. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And then in Jesus's community, we learn to see others the way God sees them. This is what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, teaching people how he sees them. When Paul came to understand this, he put it like this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The old translation is, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
What is that? That's just the system of evaluation everyone uses. What do they own? You know, how do they look? Where do they live? What do they know? Who do they know? In the year 2000, a couple of Silicon Valley engineers had a, an argument over the attractiveness of a woman and they uh, started an attractiveness rating website they called Hot or Not. It inspired a similar site at Harvard called Face Mash uh, that eventually got renamed Facebook. Uh, within a week, Hot or Not was getting two million hits a day. You could post a picture of yourself, uh, people would rate how attractive you are, and then the, rank, the, the ratings were rank ordered and posted publicly. And everyone knew what was behind this. Blessed are the hot. Woe to those of you who are not. Well, when I become one of the poor in spirit, the meek, entering into Jesus's community, I repent of my captivity to the kingdom of the flesh, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of this world. And I ask God to retrain my eyes and my mind to see every person as a child of God, the object of Jesus's cross embracing love. A friend of mine says, if you look at ads today, uh, they'll tell you who the unblessed are, the fat, the misshapen, the bald, the, the wrinkled, the ugly, the awkward, the uneducated. These conditions are experienced in our day as unconditional personal condemnation. People feel this deeply, even though they know it's kind of silly to be so worried about their bodies. And just to say, you know, how silly of you uh, doesn't bring Jesus's good news to them. You see, we need Jesus's gospel for we live in a silly world. I mean, sin is silly. And if the gospel did not reach out and touch us in our silliness, I mean, who could be saved? And so this week, practice looking at people differently. Ask God to help you with this. I was at the airport recently and ended up sitting across from someone who had a condition that had badly and permanently disfigured his face. And at first I felt awkward and turned away. And, and then I thought, you know, if this was my son or if this was my brother or my father, how would I want people to relate to him? And so we had a conversation. And all I can tell you is I was so humbled by this man's kind heart and his intelligent mind and his loving spirit. This week, look past the skin, look past the resume, look past the clothes, look past the flesh. Ask God to help you see what he sees in people. Now, Jesus goes even further. He brings the possibility of blessing now to the addicts, to the brutal, to the boastful, to the bigots, to the drug lords and the pornographers. It's no wonder people said of Jesus, this man is a friend of sinners and he eats with them. I wanna share with you a passage from a book called The Divine Conspiracy. It's so powerful, I just wanna read it to you. If I, as a recovering sinner myself, accept Jesus's good news, I can go to the mass murderer and say, you can be blessed in the kingdom of the heavens. There is forgiveness that knows no, no limits. To the worshiper of Satan, to those who rob the aged and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, to the betrayer and the adulterer, the bloodsucker and the vengeful, blessed, 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 as they flee into the arms of the kingdom among us. These are God's grubby people. <laughs> That's us, gr God's grubby people. 
In their midst, uh, Corey Ten Boom takes the hand of the Nazi who killed their family members. I mean, the scene is strictly not of this earth. Any spiritually healthy congregation of believers in Jesus will be more or less like these brands plucked from the burning. If the group is totally nice, that's a sure sign something has gone wrong. <laughs> so I think we're okay there. For here are the foolish, weak, lowly, and despised of this world, whom God has chosen to cancel out the humanly great. Among them, there indeed are a few of the humanly wise, the influential, and the socially elite. They belong here too. God is not disturbed by them. But the Beatitudes is not even a list of spiritual giants. <laughs> you see, we are the inept. We are the celebration of the inadequate. But that's not all we are. Last word. You may have noticed that Matthew says there are two groups listening to Jesus' talk. Uh, at the beginning, he says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. In other words, there are the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. And there are the disciples. His, his disciples came to him. The crowds are people who are interested in Jesus. Uh, they like his help in their, uh, with their problems. Uh, they, may, they admire his ideas. The disciples are people who used to be part of the crowd, but have now committed themselves to following wherever Jesus goes and doing whatever Jesus says. The disciples are just as stained, just as needy, just as poor in spirit. What they've said is, I must have what this man offers, and so I'll do whatever it takes. I'll learn whatever he teaches. I mean, this is the greatest opportunity I have ever had in my life, and if getting in on this means I miss out on everything else, I'll do that. I'll do it with joy. And they become his students, his disciples. And every once in a while, someone leaves the crowd and becomes a disciple. Uh, someone stops just admiring and starts to follow. Blessed, 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 and that could be you. That's the journey we're on. There's no journey in the world like it. So I hope you come back here next week. We're gonna continue on in Jesus's amazing teaching. Uh, next week is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. You don't wanna miss it. All right, let me pray for you, and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, I pray that you continue to do a work in us. Help us to uh, bring up there, down here. Help us to live in your kingdom. Help us to uh, follow the leading of AA as they uh, are open to confession and, and as they find uh, healing and hope in you. God, help us as a church to be uh, real and raw about our own sin, our own problems, so that we can find a similar type of uh, healing and hope. Uh, and you tell us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Help us to live in that reality. And God, I pray that you lead us into that blessed life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our 
weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.